Welcome to another episode of uh, Dom Dive. I'm Pranav. I'm Arvind. Thanks and for sticking it, with us, to be honest, because it's been a while <laughs> since we've last recorded an episode. And yeah, I mean, we've had our share of like personal responsibility that we've had to take care of. So we just needed a bit of a break after a year or yeah. so of uh, recording every week and then editing the next one. Because I mean, we do have other things to do as well, but we're really excited to be back. Yeah, it's it has been a while. Uh, finals have been uh, well, not finals, sorry, midterms, but finals are coming up as well. Um, but yeah, college has been a bit hectic, and there were strikes here about uh, something related to um, the pensions. Uh, the university professors were gonna get like there was gonna be a cutback in them or something. So um, yeah, all my professors went on strike for three weeks, and then I caught COVID. So another two weeks gone yeah it was do lovely you, do you know what happened uh, as a result of the strikes did the professors get um, uh, a better pension uh, scheme or what what, what were they know. asking for do you know so basically the, there was a there was a cut uh, to the total amount of pension they were going to receive something like that i uh, i forget the exact specifics um, now because it happened it did happen like two months ago um but yeah so it was uh, something related to that and the there was like a union wide thing uh, a union wide call to action and it wasn't compulsory not all professors really took part in it but most of mine did i, I guess i just drew the wrong lottery i mean but it yeah. also goes that you are in the sort of field where yeah professors <laughs> tend to be a bit more like uh yeah uh, involved in political matters in uh, uh, I mean yeah, standing up when, when needed I guess yeah. like it, it would be less common to see you know the computer science professors or math professors standing up I, I'm, I'm not trying to diss them but it's just no 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 it's just right. how things are <laughs> because none of none of my friends in uh, computer science or marketing or anything had any of the any of their professors strike it was only the people in uh, political science and philosophy <laughs> yeah that's just so <laughs> that's how things go but yeah so that i mean that happened over um the past month or so but otherwise it's been good you know yeah i mean to get things started what have you been reading lately oh yeah i did say i wanted to talk about what i was reading so um so the book i i finished recently is i need to i need to like pull it out because i can't pronounce the author's name but uh -oh. it's called Drive Your Plow Over the Bones of the Dead. Uh. Which, which is one of the coolest titles. I've Like, the title, as soon as I saw it, I was like, okay, I need to read this book. And um, it's by... Okay, I'm, I'm probably going to butcher this, but it's uh, by a Polish author called Olga Tokarczuk. We'll, we're going to have the name and link to this yeah, book in, in the description in the so. description because uh, i'm sorry i i I'm, I'm pretty sure i horribly butchered that but anyway it's a great book i like it it's it's like it's one of those where the first half it is kind of really difficult to get into or like the first third is really get difficult to get into because it's like a very very different worldview and then slowly you start like reading along with the character instead of just reading the character. And like you get immersed in the world and you kind of 
start looking through the character the the protagonist's eyes what kind of book is this is this so this is this a fiction type novel it's fiction it's it's fiction um it's uh, set in it's set in poland like bordering the czech republic um and you know it's 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 one of those um it's it's kind of a murder mystery uh kind of book mm. but but just calling it a murder mystery really i think does it a bit of a disservice cuz it it's 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 got like a lot of themes to it so without spoiling mm-hmm. i i don't think i want to go into like a plot synopsis or anything really mm-hmm. um i just kind of want to talk about the themes of the book and like the way they're depicted because i thought those were super interesting and it kind of um it relates to another book that both of us have read before and and like i'll talk about that correlation as well oh. later um but basically uh, some of the themes in this book were um there's like a very overt disdain for like hypocrisy and religion mm. there's this there's like this idea of um you know madness is just a different perspective sometimes what people think of as a madman or a mad you know like someone who the, who the world thinks is kind of senile often just has a very different perspective and you know a different way of accounting for how dif- you know the world works Mm. it doesn't necessarily mean that they don't comprehend the world or that they're not completely lucid or anything it's just that their perspective and their accounting for the way things work is different and then you know there's like a theme of um ecology and like you know protecting nature as well but it's expressed in this really really interesting way this really interesting dynamic um and all three of these kind of tie into um the the main character's outlook on the world which is run through astrology how does and, uh, it, would it be a spoiler to ask how that ties in um not really so um so basically the the main character kind of uh, uh uses astrology as this kind of empirical method basically okay uh, to to account for the goings on that happen in the book and at one point so so there's like the issue of poachers that gets brought up in the book over and over poachers and hunters and the main character is like oh i don't i don't like this you know you're taking a life and a life is so important etc etc mm. and she brings up various cases in history where animals have been tried in court but have been found not guilty or have been acquitted of their crimes <laughs> Whoa, and those are real uh real cases. <laughs> those are yeah, yeah, those are there are there are real instances. There was a horse that was executed for like causing the death of someone, something like that, dude. There's like multiple um then after the black death, rats were condemned and they were like found guilty of causing the death black death. <laughs> and wow. then they were summoned to court and their defense lawyer said they can't come to court because of the cats and everything and other dangers. How can you guarantee their safety so they can come to court? So then they had to acquit the rats. What? <laughs> I think this is like an actual goings on. Uh, yeah. I'm I'm assuming I, I'm assuming the way these things work like is that someone represents the animal and the animal is yeah, yeah, yeah. present yeah, for yeah. formal reasons. Exactly, exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's like there is a human defense. No, but like the it's, weird it's, thing it's... to me is the fact that they expect the animal to actually be there in the courtroom. <laughs> yeah, I know. <laughs> but but basically so um she she refers to these things and then says like so there is like a way for humans to account for animals. Um 
and then the religious hypocrisy comes in because there's there was a patron saint of hunters um mentioned in the book and the entire point of that person's story was he was a hunter and then he you know when he killed a deer mm. at one point he saw its eyes and like you know he felt so remorseful that he swore away from hunting and he therefore never hunted again but then he became the patron saint of hunters who are committing the same sin which is you know hypocrisy yeah yeah um uh and uh what was the third theme i said the the madness thing right 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 uh and so the protagonist is like this this um lady who kind of lives on her own and she takes care of um you know she takes care of people's house, like like their winter homes basically or their summer homes mm-hmm. because this town is beset by really heavy winters but it has like a nice summer so it's it's like a right like there's a writer and so on and so forth who live in these places over summer mm. and she kind of just maintains their uh, houses and uh, in her spare time she's like an english teacher um but basically because she uses astrology to like account for the goings on and everything and the, and then she like talks about animals in, in this way where she humanizes them she personal uh, she gives them like personalities and personas and calls them like her daughters and my little girls and so on so forth mm. and um at one point like it's not i don't think it's like a very important thing but basically she had two uh, dogs who went missing and mm. then uh, she was she just remarks to like a pastor oh i wish i could have found the bodies of my two little girls i wanted to bury them and the pastor's like oh that's a that's a blaspheming you can't you can't accord to them the same privileges that you would accord to a human they're only animals um so because of all of this and you know the way she, the way she kind of blasphemes against their faith mm. and the fact that she uses astrology to account for things and you know she kind of gets angry very quickly and she lives on her own and she's like a bit eccentric overall because of all of that she's kind of dismissed as you know just a mad woman mm. but then as the story progresses man like you you really start thinking about whether it's justified you know if she's more rational than all of these people maybe in in a lot of ways It, it, it's really really interesting um but like what really drew me into the book more and more was the similarity it had to um kafka on the shore in some ways and uh i think kafka on the shore is a is a book we have spoken about before yeah i and i, I like i have read that book but it's been yeah. quite a few years since i've read it and i I don't oh, remember I'm, I'm it not, that well. I'm not talking about um the specific goings on or anything. Like But, you don't yeah. need to remember any of the plot specifically. Yeah. But it's it's more of the the fact that, you know, the the authors approach the world. So so this is all set in like a very real world setting, you know? Like mm. it's like a small Polish town kind of thing. And Kafka on the Shore was like a Japanese city, you know? It was set in like actual locations. That kind of thing. Right. but like they imbued the world with like a completely different kind of metaphysics you know mm. like the way the way this book was written it it was written in a way where it felt like oh all of this is like destined or like preordained or like the stars are, may have something to do with it or like the animals may be getting their revenge on hunters or something like that you know 
right like, like I, i kind of get what you mean like i i remember in kafka and the show and us a lot of other murakami books you can feel yeah like this like it's more than more uh, like rather than the storyline just driving a certain direction you can feel more like the universe is pulling the main character into a certain path exactly 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 and and like like it feels like there's something supernatural that kind of keeps drawing the story further and further and it pulls you into the world deeper and so like you get immersed in this weird like physics of the world altogether you know oh that's fascinating it, it, yeah Yeah it's an it's an amazingly interesting read like I genuinely recommend it it's yeah. it's and yeah I mean this author is also like a Nobel prize you know she she's a winner of the Nobel prize in literature mm-hmm. I forget which year but like this I is just looked really, it up it's really 20 cool she won the Nobel prize for literature 2018 and Ooh. I think also shortlisted for the Booker prize yeah uh, yeah. yeah shortlisted for 2019 Booker prize so I mean this book has been getting quite a bit of recognition it's, internationally it's really especially book. after the English translation sad how that yeah, needs for, to be a part of this but yeah, that's how it works I mean I I think it's also just the fact that you know um not many people do read and speak Polish so the only way it is going to be accessible to a large majority of the world is through English I think uh, it's, I mean, it's just the facts you know Yeah, yeah. Let's let's not push no, for Polish I, as an international language. No, no, no. I would I would love to read the original so we can finally yeah, learn lo- how to pronounce her name. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> That's honestly the biggest uh, thing. Um but yeah, so that was the that was one book I read and I highly urge anyone listening to this to like go out and read it. It's it's really really good. Like I think the first third, you know, you it it takes a bit because like it's such a different kind of way of approaching the narrative and you know it takes a bit for you to get kind of get into the character or get into the world mm-hmm. or like the descriptions and the way you know the way the or the character kind of refers to people mm-hmm. but slowly you kind of just you know you you get used to it and then man the story moves it's so good yeah everything you're telling me about this book and uh, the author's uh, writing style i i really c- at least from the description it does sound a lot like murakami as well so i'm assuming it, it, like if you it, it like does. that style uh, this might be something else that you like if you have yeah. read murakami and you haven't read this and you didn't like murakami i'm assuming maybe this might not uh, no 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 i think there's, there's there's definitely something in here for anyone mm. um even if you don't particularly enjoy murakami's writing sc- style yeah there might be yeah other reasons why you didn't like it yeah. than the general But this was this was honestly a great read. I genuinely enjoyed it so much. Um So that was one book. Uh the second book. So I started reading um Metazoa which is right. Um, well, it's a, a book we mentioned on a previous uh, episode before yeah. you got started reading it. Where yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh I think I I just mentioned it as like a book I have and I want to read but I hadn't really started it. Um so I'm I'm now halfway through the book. and it's so good so um it's by it's by peter godfrey smith who's a philosopher and i think he's also like a marine biologist and a neuroscientist or something but he he's he's got this incredibly captivating storytelling and he he he's got this incredibly captivating storytelling style when he approaches 
um, matters such as evolution and the way the brain works, the way, you know, nerve impulses kind of signal, uh, the way the nerve impulses kind of help us make sense of the world, you know, how we sense things, how, how we... Um, how we come to have a sense of awareness of where we are, what we're doing, and so on and so forth. So just to be clear, just to be clear, like this book yeah. is more, I mean, like this is book is clearly nonfiction. Yeah. Directly oh, yeah. getting into what uh, animals <laughs> yeah, yeah. and uh, evolution, perhaps. Um, so, so, the, so the title of the book and the subtitle of the book is Metazoa, Animal Minds and the Birth of Consciousness. Okay. So it's entirely nonfiction but it's it's so every chapter kind of starts with the author's kind of scuba diving experience so like he goes down and he like sees you know a sponge and then he tells us the story of how sponges evolved from you know single cell to you from like single celled organisms to eukaryotes and how then eukaryotes kind of like came together and became bigger and bigger and then slowly colonies of organisms became a singular multicellular organism and that became like a sponge and then from there you know how you know life branched out further became you know cnidarians like jellyfish and so on and he kind of tells this step-by-step progression of how as life became more complex it started it started needing to sense its place in the world sense what it was doing and so on and so forth it couldn't rely on you know very basic inner bodily senses it needed outward outward directed senses as well and then you know he talks about how he saw he sees like a banded shrimp and you know like he goes step by step basically from uh from each kind of each archetypal stage of evolution in in like this the way it's um thought of as like a linear scale it, mm. it it's really really interesting um this is this is kind of the topic I plan to do my dissertation on anyway, so it's a great read. But on top of that, like his writing style is so engaging, and it feels like watching a David Attenborough documentary. How much uh, scientific background do you think you would need to like before you? Oh, uh, not into much, this not okay. much. There's there's not much scientific jargon, um, and whatever jargon is used is explained pretty pretty easily, like. You, you don't need to be well-versed in science or neuroscience or anything to read this. Yeah, you don't have to know exactly what a eukaryote is before getting into this. No, he explains it. Great. <laughs> yeah, a eukaryote is basically... No, uh, um, yeah, I'm not saying... So, I'm yeah. just saying, like, setting it up. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but yeah, you don't need to know... Um, you don't need to know anything about science, really. Mm. About life sciences or anything. You don't need to know anything before you start reading this book. It's really well written so far. I'm I'm thoroughly enjoying it. Yeah. It's it's just a great book. <laughs> <laughs> okay. I mean I guess uh we we can add more praise when we get sponsored to to shout these out. Just kidding, but uh I mean if anyone does want to. Uh, yeah, emails yeah. open dumbdive at gmail.com. Uh, yeah, I guess so, I guess um, while we're on the topic of books, uh, it got me thinking of another thing. So I've been reading mm-hmm. uh, Krish Ashok's uh, Masala Lab. Uh, it's a book that, at least locally around here, especially for anyone interested in food, it's be it's it pops up in a lot of conversations. Uh, it's a book. I mean, so Krish Ashok, as an author himself, is du- like he doesn't come from the food industry. He's not a chef. 
mm-hmm. or like a food based academic of any sort but this book is uh, one of those like popular food science if i can call it that which is a, is i would say a new genre of books that have started popping up where it's this a uh, type of engineering and scientific approach at looking at common food techniques processes uh, documenting them categorizing them and uh, cat- like mm-hmm. trying to characterize ingredients and what changes are happening to ingredients like uh, what actually makes uh, like ca- uh, like uh, onions go brown when you uh, like fry them for a while like that caramelization right. process uh it's uh, which is the same thing that makes like your toast brown up uh when you're grilling bread it's mm. so like there's a lot of these uh ideas that we either take for granted or we just like don't question too much in daily food mm. and cooking but is it like um is it like a jake and g lopez or yeah yeah, yeah 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 that's yeah. it's okay. something very similar so yeah I, I, like if i think that was it, Kenji Lopez's uh, book was uh, Food Lab. The, yeah, f- the Food Lab. The Food Lab, yeah. And yeah, uh, I, if uh, I mean like if you're a bit I have it at home. <laughs> I've read that as well. It's a uh, it's pretty interesting uh for and I mean like if you're more keen on or rather more exposed to Indian cooking than you are to American food. Mm. A lot of the things that he talks about specifically may not connect very well. uh he has yeah. like like uh, Kenji Lopez has entire chapters on where to source uh equipment and knives and ingredients and things like that which uh really can step up the the game of any home cook uh mm-hmm. like how like what kind of knives to use for what purposes uh what like like how do you f- like look at uh, a type of grinder or a knife or a ladle and figure out that's the kind that you want uh mm. like just try, trying to de- determine by size and uh things for different processes and stuff like that so uh but like when he says go to walmart and get this like that's not something that uh yeah. ties in very well so i'm pretty glad that a similar shift of thought is happening here as well especially cuz mm. indian food is ridiculously diverse uh, and even like basic recipes are actually insanely complex yeah <laughs> like which brings like me to my is, yeah you know. exactly which brings me to the next problem that i have or rather the first problem that i have with this book uh, uh masala love like i think it's mm-hmm. like the the direction that it's taken in, in like the overall direction of trying to document this scientific and engineering approach uh to allow everyone to step up the food game is great but like the writing style is kind of like th- this it, it has that vibe of like you know like an uncle talking about something that he doesn't know enough uh, about but trying to show off that he knows everything about it uh, uh I, but like it's just like it it there's a lot of like real gross generalizations happening like like in indian food it doesn't really matter you don't need to source the freshest most uh, amazing ingredient cuz finally you're going to mix it up with like 35 other spices and you're not going to taste like the onions anymore but uh, that's not true it's not which is why i i got really annoyed reading sections uh, that were written like that mm. but then like the the sort of like the the 
the the tables and charts and like descriptions of processes that what happens when you pressure cook something and things like that were mm-hmm. really really cool uh it's just like these like offhand comments and uh an attitude to uh diversity and culture that really annoyed me because everything was being reductionistic like we are mm. in like 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 we do a lot of reductionist like talk uh, like in dumb dive <laughs> but like yeah. that, that even for me was like another level so yeah, i, I mean, mean if we I sound think... like that to someone who's a specialist in the topics that we're mm-hmm. talking about please tell us so that we're we so know sorry. not to be that <laughs> uh, yeah but <laughs> i guess it's because i have read uh i mean like the food lab i've read on food and yeah. cooking i've and i've also watch a lot of content online uh read I mean, a lot like, beyond a this really cr- there's there's a binging with babish right i think that's yeah, honestly yeah, like a gold standard for any home cook trying to make like pro level or like just I th- yeah so i think like binging babish is, is more like 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 very good uh clear process uh, oriented like cooking and but then like yeah. i feel like these type of books are more like uh, there's alex a uh, french guy cooking i think his name on youtube is just alex um, so alex where lucia or something no 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 just alex is oh, sorry, uh, sorry. oh i'm th- i'm thinking uh, adam adam ragusa yeah adam ragusa I, i think yeah. alex is a really great uh, uh yeah. resource because he does these like video series where he picks one item uh mm-hmm. let's say instant noodles or handmade pasta uh or i think he made uh pizzas and st- uh, or like you know like this very common <laughs> food that we regularly eat fried rice uh things like that he takes like one of those and his goal is to perfect his abil- or rather as far as possible push his abilities to make that one dish so if okay. it's instant noodles it's not just like putting noodles in a pot for 2 minutes it's learning how the process of like to make instant noodles from scratch like can like oh, if he wow. was to hand uh knead dough and cut it into noodles and like what uh like tools should he use to cut the noodles like oh, how long wow. does he like what are the ratios of the different ingredients like how that affects the cooking time like how how he yeah. makes it into a cake and everything yeah a lot of those things where he really breaks down breaks it down like into an almost like a chemistry and mechanical engineering process oh, uh wow that's interesting is makes it very different from a pure taste and food oriented approach mm-hmm. which i think is more in line with at least this book how it's taken because okay. uh, i believe krishna shok's background is also in engineering and you can mm-hmm. feel that uh like when he's talking about different varieties of rice he's talking about uh how uh like the different ratios there are different starch types within rice uh, uh. and how uh, uh like i forget exactly what starch but like how if there's a higher ratio of one kind of starch it le- leads to uh, rice that clumps up and like uh, mm-hmm. is a bit softer like say like you have your basmati rice at one end of the spectrum and you have like a south indian like poni type rice on the other end mm-hmm. uh, so yeah there's a lot of things that are explained like why those ingredients are different and where you would want to use those things but it's it's the writing style man it just makes it so hard to get through uh yeah i mean i think i kind of get the writing style critique you have yeah 
yeah i mean because I so, so this book, book uh, yeah. this book like the writing style is very conversational uh mm. it's extremely informal to the point where i have not read too many books that are written like that so it feels very uncomfortable but okay. if i was to hear the exact same content being said in an audio or video format i feel like i would be okay uh just because like uh, typically we i at least i feel like i'm very used to two very different types of language styles between writing mm. and uh listening or or watching uh yeah fair enough that yes. super conversational banter uh type where you add in opinions and jokes and those type of things it requires like a certain level of finesse to really come off yeah. uh, as clean in, in a writing format but uh for someone who's been like uh who like kind of got popular writing blogs online and like i think twitter and those kind of things uh it, it sort of makes sense if you know where he's mm. coming from okay uh but yeah i mean if if i can continue on that tangent mm. i uh the the new season of masterchef australia has just started uh odd connection but it's just like i was watching that and in this season there's 12 new cooks pitted up against mm. 12 uh, participants who have done pretty well in previous seasons of masterchef so you're having people with a certain level of experience uh right. a because they've already gotten like close to the finals or even won a previous season of masterchef and b because if they won a previous season they also have a few years between that and now uh during which they might have been working as a professional in the food industry unlike new people entering the show because it's a, yeah. a a reality cooking show where typically amateur home cooks uh, who don't really have restaurant experience try to like do really fancy gourmet style cooking in very short times right and the bizarre thing that i found was that the 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 the, the newest cooks or rather the cooks who are cooking either in the uh, most recent seasons or the mm. the the fresh faces to to the season are the ones who seem the most well read about techniques cuisines yeah. ideas and like a lot of this like theoretical uh, just background whereas like the cook who won season 1 of masterchef She is mm. just like she just looks like like at this like she she was introduced as like a grandmother. She has like grandkids oh, wow. and she's just like a whole, like your literal like like what are traditional like yeah. stereoscopic image of home cook feels like at this right, point right, because right. it's been almost 15 years since she won mastership and she just comes yeah. in like terrified that oh all I know is how to make like this kind of food that families can eat together. I don't know mm-hmm. all this like crazy weird new techniques that these new ki- these kids are doing like and the people I thought would be scared are not the ones who are scared. <laughs> I think it's also because it's become so much easier for us to access resources um to help in cooking, right? Like the internet's just such a helpful tool, especially YouTube now. Like literally 2 days ago I was looking up um I was trying to figure out how to uh use like some tofu and like some carrots and stuff that I had in my fridge and yep. I I was looking up um I was looking up a Chinese cooking demystified video and well, there was 
yeah there was an exact video with the exact ingredients i had and i was like oh perfect <laughs> it took me literally 5 minutes to find that recipe yeah like yeah youtube's just such a good resource to get great recipes that explain why the process is done a certain way for a certain result and why these ingredients have to be used so on so forth like it, it's a, it's a great great channel like it's a great resource yeah i i also like uh, the reason i brought that up is like i wonder if it's more than just the information is available is is it uh, like isn't it also an indicator of a bigger cultural shift uh, of how we are looking at like food might be just like one place that i've noticed this change where mm. uh, people are coming in like with it's not just that the information is accessible because the, the same information is accessible to the old generation and the new generation uh it like is, i mean like they're not in terms just... of age they're not that far apart i'm talking to people uh who literally are like 3 4 years apart even though i did bring up the grandmother uh, example mm-hmm. as a reference a lot of the others are just like early 30s maybe the new the the youngest people are like 20 right it's not right. a huge age gap it's like it's still a, mm. the typical age range that you see on the internet uh yeah. but it's just that i i feel like uh because uh people who haven't already been in say the food industry or any other type of thing like really niche uh interest mm. field uh mm. like once they're working in it they sort of just like like w- going through the route of working their job and like learning things that they would mm-hmm. on the job the people who are doing something as uh, a hobby purely as an right. interest seem to be the ones who are taking like a few steps ahead of trying to get like like just watching the videos and getting theoretical knowledge but they might not have as much uh chance and experience Finesse. getting hands on with it yeah which no. makes the mm. the the collision of the two so freaking fa- uh, uh, like fascinating to me because it's like seeing essentially a huge amount of like just like exposure to different ideas and like theory yeah. and then just people who've been doing Raw this experience. day in and day out every day where like like doing entire like three course meals is like muscle memory yeah 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 it's like it's like um, experience versus raw knowledge right yeah like raw experience versus raw knowledge it's it's uh, like the sort of thing that we mm-hmm. very often also think about uh, a question while at school where is the the rote learning learning the information part of it yeah. the most important or is it more, more important to uh try to understand how the thing works even if you're not able to like grok every single component of what's yeah. going on yeah i think i mean i think to that like the, the answer is always pretty clear cut it's always better to understand than to rote memorize you know yeah like, i think yeah the, i don't know if there's really much of a discussion that i mean i guess i guess it's not a battle like, but like i i feel like there's yeah no 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 of course though i i completely get why you brought that up because it is it is a very similar thing here um in the masterchef final masterchef episode you're talking about i haven't been watching masterchef at all since like i think since uh, since we were in 10th 
Fair I enough. watched MasterChef since then. Because like, but, I mean, y- I still watch certain, episodes every now. A certain there. level of dedication to watch it because it's one-hour episodes yeah. and there's like fifty of them that are released a year. And there are so, ad breaks every five minutes. <laughs> no, no, I mean like so it's all on streaming now, so you're just like, oh right, yeah, watching so it all. You also. just binge it. Yeah. yeah, that's true. No, I'm just traumatized by watching it on TV. <laughs> <laughs> No, but uh, oh man, oh yeah. Speaking of things we've been watching, uh, yeah. So I I was watching um, I was watching a few anime basically over the over the spring break slash time when I didn't have classes, etc. Hmm. Um, so one was um, one was Demon Slayer. So I caught up with I'm catching up with the final Entertainment District arc, hmm. and I mean. I don't need to sing the praises of Demon Slayer anymore. The animation is fantastic. The voice acting is great. Soundtrack is great. Characters are great. Yeah, it's just a really good show. I mean, like what? It's almost more, like you, you sound so unenthusiastic about how enthusiastic you are about it that I'm just Dude, so I mean, confused. Like you're just like oh, everything is just good. Like I, I can't, I, I, I can't <laughs> criticize this. <laughs> I mean, no, no, no. I, I mean, I do have criticisms. I do have like one very very big criticism which is there's an entire character who is just the most annoying annoying kid on the planet his name is zenitsu and i hate him <laughs> the crybaby zenitsu i hate him he's so fuck he's so cool only when he's asleep <laughs> yeah Because when I, I, he's I, asleep I, I, like, i mean i don't think this is a spoiler really i mean for anyone who hasn't seen demon slayer i guess spoiler warning but in season 1 fairly early on i think episode 6 or 7 you kind of get introduced to this thing where zenitsu when he falls asleep or like when he gets so terrified he passes out he kind of switches to an alternate persona who has honed this one technique to perfection and just uses it at, like to the maximum possible effect and he's insanely powerful because of that That's a it's, it's a like, very Bruce Lee thing isn't it? The, yeah, exactly. Like, I was just going to say that. Yeah, fear, uh, the, fear pers- not the man. Uh, yeah, I fear not the man who has practiced a thousand kicks one time, but the man who has practiced one kick a thousand times. That's yeah. The exact quote if I remember it right. Yeah, I'm pretty sure it is. At least at least the the general <laughs> sentiment is right. <laughs> yeah. But man, like I mean, but the thing is like Demon Slayer as the story goes on, like I don't know each season the animation just seems to get even better. Like the first episode of the new entertainment district arc, man. Like the opening is just this huge huge flex on just how good the animation studio Ufotable is. Like yeah. they they've just they've just they're just flexing on other studios at this point to show hey, look at how good this is. They're just like, hey, we have a license of 3ds Max, and we realize that you can use it for anime. You guys are still yeah. like hand drawing <laughs> things, and like it, it doesn't look as good. Just, just use your computers, dude. Like it's amazing. Like Demon Slayer is some of the most phenomenal art. Like it just looks gorgeous, and the character designs, the way the eyes are so expressive. Like it's really well done. My big complaint is literally just Zenitsu. Otherwise, I would have no issues with the show. I really, really enjoy <laughs> everything else, but I just can't stand Zenitsu. I, I literally, dude. I was watching an episode yesterday, and Zenitsu is so prevalent in the episode. I, I just close the tab. I'm like, I can't, I can't continue watching this. 
Like he was giving me a migraine. Uh, yeah. I mean, so I I also watched it as far as they've released so far, and mm-hmm. I really liked it. But the thing is, like, it's very, it's very standard shonen, which yeah, at least course. is not. I mean, I think it's shonen done very well. But I yeah. think that genre is just not something that I'm extremely keen on to be like, yo, this is absolutely oh, yeah, incredible. Yeah, yeah, but fair enough. I I agree with you. The art. So the. The thing about like the animation style that particularly uh, like caught my eye is the amount of 3D environments that they use mm. and just like 3D animations in general. Because like you yeah. often see uh, in anime where they might take a real life photograph or a 3D model, like very, almost realistic uh, image of yeah. uh, say a city or something like that and do like a very light sort of stylistic filter on it so it looks more in line with the normal animation stuff. Yeah. Uh, but then these guys just went all out on like yeah. you have these like 2DS characters uh, just like flying yeah. around and fighting or running in, in what's a essentially a complete environment. 3D environment yeah. with uh, like other like everything that they interact with in the environment like, I know I make it sound like a video game, but like everything that they interact with in the environment is 3D, but they're 2D and it still works. It's, it's so good. Like, it still like makes sense. Like, you're not ever like, this looks like Paper yeah. Mario. I mean, and the other thing is like, when CGI is used in anime, like this is through my personal experience and like what most anime fans kind of, you know, consider but when cgi is usually used in anime it's not really done very well mm. it doesn't look good it looks like it looks really uncanny and not natural yeah so like i uh an example is um there's a show on netflix called baki super interesting yeah. really funny if you're into like just absurd 80s action movies you should watch baki i think i think if you love wwf you'd like baki yeah, either WWF. <laughs> actually, I yeah, know. I think people who like wrestling would also like like cheesy eighties action movies. Like yeah, exactly. I think it's stuff. just like you know, good. It's, it's a crossover. But yeah, Baki is your kind of show. Like if you like that, if you like wrestling and like the campiness of all of that, Baki is absolutely something you'd enjoy. But basically, it's animated. Like the animation style itself, it, it it's a bit ugly. It takes a bit for you to get used to because that is how it's intended to be drawn Mm. but like after a point you kind of get used to it but some of the fights in the first season are just so jarring because they switch between hand-drawn animation to cgi and Mm. it looks so jarring like one of the only shows where i've seen it done really well is kengan ashura and that's because like everything is cg Mm. and they've done it in this super stylized and like you know fluid way yeah. where you know it, it makes sense to have it all CG it's done nicely or at least I, I, I like it I think it, it, it looks aesthetically pleasing um, yeah. in that show but usually it's not it's not integrated nicely yeah and that's uh, something that's anime. really difficult to achieve just yeah, stylistically absolutely. going through very different approaches and still making them work unless mm-hmm. like that has been the main focus of everything you've been doing from the ground up like yeah and I mean, it just takes demon a lot of money to, to 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 oh yeah pull absolutely it helps it helps that demon slayer itself has become such a successful franchise 
entirely in part to the fact that the animation is so high, high effort. So they're getting rewarded for the amount of high effort they put in, which makes them put in more effort. And like each season just ups the stakes of the animation so much. Like this... I thought, I thought season one's climactic finale battle. I'm never. I'm not gonna talk about it. It's just the most beautiful episode in animation I've seen. Like. Mm. Like season one's final battle against the spider demon is just it's it's a masterclass in just how visuals alone can like move you so much. Like I I had tears in my eyes and I don't cry at stuff usually. Like I'm not a very emotional person. Like it's 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 amazing. Like the highs the highs of the animation alone are so high and the voice acting is genuinely pretty good like like i didn't find a single moment where i was like oh that that doesn't seem like well performed or whatever like nothing ever took me out of it it's a good show <laughs> um, yeah so yeah i mean i've been catching but up with that um, the, there's uh, there's something that you said about like the 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 fact that it's popular got them putting more money into it that reminded mm. me of the the game hades so oh, yeah <laughs> so the the thing about hades is that it uh I, the reason it tied together is because the way hades was released was that it first came out as an early access exclusive on the epic store mm. uh if you play a lot of pc gaming you know that it's kind of rare for games to come out exclusive on epic unless it was made by epic and yeah. Epic has been like placing themselves as a massive competitor for what most PC gamers currently use to like uh, purchase uh, games, which is Steam. Uh, and so at that point, I think this was 2018, uh, Epic had this deal where for games that are willing to be exclusive on their platform for, I think, six months to a year, they would sign a massive like, like, a contract where they would give a huge sum of money ahead of time just to mm. keep them exclusive on that platform for that lock-in period and for an indie uh, or like small studio development like Hades that makes a yeah. huge impact uh, to be able to get like let's say it's a million dollars right you're talking mm. about some like like uh, I don't know what their exact scenario but like Typically, companies with like five, ten people barely like struggling to get ends meet yeah. for their first major project. Like they've spent like the last two years on this and no real revenue stream through that time and trying to pay their people. When you have that, all of a sudden now you have resources to put in a lot more effort, polishing out every single thing yeah. uh, before you you have. And you're already on early uh, like early access. You have people either paying for the game or playing the game and give, giving you the active feedback and. And like sort of like motivation that there's going to be a player base for this game, right? Yeah. So they went through that a year. I think they had like a million sales, and then they released on Steam as well, and then just like exploded. Yeah. Oh my god. Like, I love that game. I genuinely do. It's so good. But yeah, I see the parallels to Demon Slayer you're talking about. You know, but it's not like Ufotable was a small studio before. That. Yeah, yeah, no, and it's not. Already, it's not yeah. the, like the Ufotable to the company that made uh, Hades. They did but Fate it's, Zero 
unlimited blade works or something i mean yeah, again, they, they were always they're a big studio but i just meant it's more of like the like it just yeah, yeah. reminded me of this rather than it being something of a very similar situation no 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 i know i know i know no i was also just saying like um because like yufotable was always known for like having gorgeous animation mm. and then like they just did demon slayer which is their crowning achievement i think so far like it dwarfs everything else they've done i feel like okay yeah but enough about demon slayer because there's a couple of other anime i was watching over the break which also they they aren't like my regular cup of tea but man these two really like they got me invested like i'm catching up with the manga as well uh so one is my dress up darling and the other is uh hori mi yeah mm-hmm. and uh both of these are like high school slice of life romance um kind of uh stories you know where it it's like the girl and guy kind of become friends and they bond over common interests and you know they they, they slowly get closer until they find out oh wow we like each other and like they get into like a really wholesome kind of relationship and it's it's just really cute but what sells it is that the characters in horimiya at least like every character is so well written you can feel like you're taken through their own perspectives on like other people their struggles what why they like that they're, they're all people who are flawed mm. and you get to know these flaws you get to see these flaws very very openly mm. but like overall it's it's just like friends helping each other through tough times you know having fights making up it it takes you through like a regular high school life and it's just written really well and like i've 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 been i've reread the manga like seven times so far it's been 3 months since i found out about this and i've read it seven times it's so good like, i just i i feel like i've just realized that like slice, slice of life anime is basically reality show for weebs like yeah kind of <laughs> <laughs> it's just like because like, like the the main sort of like uh, reason that not everyone gets into them is cuz they are mm-hmm. just about like n- normal people doing normal things but for I someone mean, also, who is reality tv kind of um reality okay TV yeah not also. reality tv but maybe like more like terrace house like like japanese reality tv of normal people doing oh, normal enough. things or or like you know like uh what we'd call sitcoms you know yeah yeah exactly yeah. i guess i guess yeah. that's 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 a better yeah but it's yeah. just like you know like, like a daily vignette of like oh this day this happened and this kind of zany exactly. wacky it's, thing with our friends we did hijinks blah 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 it, yeah. yeah but the thing is that a great sitcom like a great uh, slice of life anime like you're talking about mm-hmm. shows like that insight into the way people are thinking on their personalities on their characteristics and those like yeah. very realistic interactions that they would have with each other yeah exactly and like i think a great sitcom is also kind of defined by having very very good character interactions you mean very like, very loud constant fake applause no no <laughs> i mean okay like sarcasm aside like i mean like even with loud applause tracks i think there are some moments in popular sitcoms like how i met your mother you know mm. like i i'm not going to say it's a very good show but there are certain episodes which are incredibly well written that show like a real depth of um character writing between you know 
um, between you know two two people in the show mm. who are supposed to have a bond that deep, right? Yeah. Like they've been close friends since college, they've been living together as friends like within the same neighborhood since college. They've all grown up. They're they're now like a couple of them are married, etc., etc. And like you see how there's like a slow development and how their um, relationship matures, mm. and when they have to deal with you know suffering like like one of the characters father dies or something and you can see how all of them kind of react and help him and yeah. and like you know when when you show like these kinds of actual actual events that happen to regular people like like a sitcom shouldn't always be about just the comedy you know mm. like there is a lot of terrible things that happen to people in in, in real life mm. and it's it's just a fact of life that you know death happens we lose people or like you can get into an accident or you know you can you can break up with someone you know you can fall out of love you can be left at the altar like yeah. all these things happen and showing that really humanizes the characters it makes a good show just because it makes the characters feel more grounded i think like, they're I not think always a, happy a show that does that incredibly well is uh, ricky gervais's afterlife Uh, I haven't seen it. I I it's, I do need to. I it's phenomenal to. because of I mean it's Ricky Gervais British uh, mm. stand up comedian I mean comedian in general done a lot of TV shows and movies and stuff like that. I think wasn't he banned from the Oscars? I don't know. He's done a I lot. I think of it was No, I think it was him and Sasha Baron Cohen the banned from hosting the Oscars ever again. <laughs> it makes sense they're very uh both of them are very politically incorrect but this show <laughs> very polarizing uh, yeah uh this show is quite different from his i mean in a way it's along the but anyway yeah so this show is basically he is portraying a character who's just like living in small town uk uh who is struggling to cope with his uh his wife that passed away from cancer i believe oh. from a terminal illness she passed away and he's just trying to figure out how to continue living life and almost every episode he just can't get over her and he's mm. sort of like either like sort of going with the the flow that he's like i don't have to get over her she's like she is a part of my life throughout and right. and he also like go, uh, like goes back and forth like i I'm allowed to enjoy my life right now. Like I don't have to like keep crying about those times. Yeah. Uh and like every episode would have him like open up a laptop and just like watch this one clip of them doing something fun and him just like bawling out crying uh with his dog and just come and hug him and it's just like this is this is a sitcom but these scenes make it like beyond relatable like there's like yeah. like you it makes it feel like it's someone's actual story right like it's yeah. an actual person like, like that's what i mean by it humanizes the characters i don't mean like it brings them down to our level or anything i mean it literally makes them living people yeah that we and can it, we can sympathize with it's not just relating to your own experiences you're learning about the way that a person who might think very yeah. different from uh, differently from you is relating to a situation yeah uh, which i think is incredibly important for people to just know like you you yeah, may not absolutely. really get that level of insight just talking to your friends like 
not everyone has that deep connections with everyone around them so it's Absolutely. like to see someone like like literally be inside their brain as they go through life is like a very very different experience which uh, oddly is something that we get from uh these kind of like uh shows and books yeah i mean um like again horimiya is amazingly written for that exact reason like you see these deep insecurities you see like people fight and like about about things that seem meaningless to us hmm. but like when you when you look at what what the character is thinking and why they you know kind of think of it that way you realize it's significant to them and it makes sense cuz they're high school students you know you don't expect a see like you don't level expect that much maturity from a high school student because that is the setting it's in mm. but like it feels impactful the insecurities are very real you know like it builds they they build up character and even in my dress up darling which is a lot more light hearted overall mm. but there's like there, there is a scene um without like uh, again spoiler warning but definitely watch it i think it's a it's it's again a really nice show just very funny very well written really cute um but there's one scene um where the the entire premise of the show is there's this there's this guy who has like social anxiety because he was kind of ridiculed as a as a child for um for loving hina dolls which is like a specific type of doll right whatever. that's that's yeah. the dolls that are used at hina matsuri right Like yeah, the festival yeah. where they put yeah, yeah, like yeah. it's like sort of like our Navratri kolu where you put like yeah exactly uh, it's steps. like a kolu bomma yeah it's like kolu bomma yeah. you create like uh, several like uh, like steps almost like a staircase uh, and then you decorate each of them and you place offerings and at the very top there's like a a, sh- a, a shrine maiden not not shrine maiden but like a princess kind of doll mm. something like that but basically um yeah so he he really loves them and he wants to be- he wants to follow in his uh, grandfather's um footsteps and become you know a maker of these dolls but he was kind of ridiculed by one of his classmates um when he was young and that kind of like it, and like because of that he you know st- he started finding it difficult to trust people and like slowly be- got socially anxious so on and so forth but then he finds out that there's this girl in the class who loves cosplay and since he can sew and make clothes for hina dolls he's like oh i'll help you with clo- cosplay sure because he's Ooh. kind of like touched cuz she she loves cosplay the same way he loves the hina dolls like they both want to like really embody a certain character for him it's like i i want to make the mo- i want to make a doll that makes someone else like smile you know by seeing how pretty it is and she's like i want to embody my favorite characters because i just enjoy them so much I love them so much. I want to be them for a while. Well, that's, that's nice. and and so like they bond over like this very common, not interest, but like they realize the passion in each other, and they're like, you know what? Let's help each other as much as we can. And the very first project he kind of makes, she she makes like an offhanded comment about, oh, there's like a cosplay festival two weeks away. And she means it as a let's go scope it out and see what kind of cosplays people are wearing. he misunderstands it and thinks oh i have to have a cosplay ready in 2 weeks and so he works his and like at the same time he's dealing with his grandfather who got injured and he has final exams and everything hmm. and at the same time he's burning himself out making this costume 
and then she realizes that he he misunderstood what she said and it's this incredibly human moment and it's it's really well done she like breaks down and apologizes and she, like it's so well written and the voice acting is great like you you feel invested and when she makes a mistake she's like oh wow that's like an actually serious mistake it affected you so badly i'm so sorry and like you can feel the remorse and like these these moments of character writing like it it, it really it, it it's really well done like it's just really well written fiction and it makes these characters so believable and like real it, it almost like the living breathing flesh and blood you know Hmm. in 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 some ways basically <laughs> um but like it's it, it's it's kind of why like to, to to circle back to the very beginning you know um and give a bit of closure to this episode because we have been recording for almost an hour now but um to circle back to the very beginning it's it's why you know there are certain books that really connect with you or that have achieved so much acclaim over the years it's because their characters seem more than just pieces of or, or more than just ink on paper or more than just an author's imagination they feel situated in a world that feels fully coherent and and because of that they feel just as real as us in some ways like their struggles matter as much as ours and we we find ways to sympathize with them it's why something like frankenstein is such an enduring horror or something like pride and prejudice is such an enduring classic story or something like oliver twist has been taught for so many years you know yeah and so with that uh, extended <laughs> episode on tv shows and books and anime and music um we're wrapping this up uh, i've been pranav i'm arvin thanks for listening to dumb dash follow us on social media we're at dumdive podcast on instagram dumdive on twitter dumdive at gmail dot uh, com like anything else we have uh, links to it in the description links to a bunch of things that we ta- spoke about in the description of this podcast please do check it out yeah and we hope to be a bit more regular from next episode onwards <laughs> but yeah thanks for listening we need to hit 3 million subscribers by the end of this <laughs> month for us to release the next episode in 2 weeks Yeah, we're holding it hostage. <laughs>